Welcome to the 75th episode of Warriors Off Court, the San Francisco Chronicles NBA podcast. I'm your host, Warriors beat writer Connor Letourneau, and today I'm joined by Chronicle sports writer Rusty Simmons and Santa Cruz Warriors play-by-play voice Kevin Dana. Rusty, who covered the Warriors for us from 2009 to 2016, has been back helping out on the beat in recent weeks. Kevin is one of the foremost experts of the G League and has been at every single Santa Cruz Warriors game since the team moved from North Dakota in 2006. Rusty and Kevin sat down with me at the Warriors headquarters after a chaotic draft night in which Golden State took three players, Michigan shooting guard Jordan Poole at 28, Serbian big man Alan Smilagic at 39, and Villanova power forward Eric Pascal at 41. Kevin went in-depth on Smilagic, who played last season for the Santa Cruz Warriors. We talked about how each of these three prospects could fit with Golden State, both short and long-term. We'll have our conversation right after the break. All right, so here we are. It's Thursday night. Warriors Draft Headquarters, also just known as the Warriors Practice Facility. Um, we we just finished up NBA draft coverage on what was a pretty chaotic night. The Warriors ended up getting three guys. They got Jordan Poole out of Michigan at 28. Uh, Alan Smilagic, who actually played with the Warriors G League affiliate in Santa Cruz last season. He's a big man out of Belgrade, Serbia. They got him at number 39, and then they got Eric Pascal, a power forward out of Villanova at 41. Um, So this is actually the first time the Warriors have had at least three draft picks since 2012, which you might remember was a very pivotal draft for the Warriors. They got Harrison Barnes. They got Festus Azili. They got Draymond Green. Um, It remains to be seen whether this will be as crucial or as big of a milestone for this franchise could take a few years, but um, we I'm really excited to have Kevin Dana here with us. Those who don't know, he is personally I view him as my my uh, G League insider. <laughs> Every time I have a G League question, a question about Santa Cruz, and anyone who follows my coverage knows I'm kind of into that stuff. I I DM or text. Kevin. Uh, Kevin is the play-by-play voice for the Santa Cruz Warriors. He writes a weekly blog on the Santa Cruz Warriors for warriors.com. Has been around the team really since it was birthed, right? Yeah, since year one. Which was when again? 2012-13. I've uh, had the pleasure of watching every game in team history. (laughs) So what we're saying here is that Kevin is as much of an expert on Alan Smilagic as probably anyone this side of maybe Kent Lakeup who found him in a rec league-sized gymnasium in Belgrade a couple of years ago. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of good storylines, but I don't think there's a better storyline than Alan Smilagic. So let's just start with him. Um, just a little bit of background. I got to write on him back in March, but he uh, he's a guy who is somewhat of a of a pioneer, right, in that he's the youngest player in G League history. Um, he... Do you kind of want to explain for those who, those of us who aren't as familiar with Smilagic's story, just where he comes from, why this is so unique? Yeah, so like you mentioned, he was the youngest player in G League history when he played in the game at the age of 18 years and 77 days. He isn't even 19 yet. He turns 19 
August 18th. So he's still super, super young. You mentioned he's from Belgrade, Serbia, played uh, with KK Beko in the U19 Serbian League and was the MVP of that league when he averaged 21 and 11. And I remember after the G League draft talking with Aaron Miles, the head coach of the Santa Cruz Warriors, and he's like, yeah, we got this Serbian kid. You know, uh, this guy fights hard. I'm really excited for to, to have him here with us in Santa Cruz. And that's the first thing that, that sticks out to you about this guy. He loves basketball, and he wants to kill you on the court. It's a, <laughs> it's a lot of fun to watch. I mean, in, in the weekend you were down there to, to watch Alan Connor, which pro- was the best weekend he had probably since maybe late November, early December. He went on a nice five-game stretch then. But, I mean, what he did against the Agua Caliente Clippers of Ontario and most impressively against Jonathan Motley, one of the best two-way players in the G League last year, was nothing so, short of kind of eye-popping, jaw-dropping. Uh, he did some really impressive things in, in those two games. Yeah, I, I I believe he went off for like 21 and 8 or something in that game. And in that game, he was putting the ball on the floor. He was breaking guys down off the dribble. He was finding guys open along the perimeter. He was knocking down threes. He This might sound like hyperbole, but I remember telling my friend who was at that game with me, this feels like a young Nikolai Jokic. And they're both from Serbia. Uh, they both were second round draft picks. Actually, Smilagic was drafted two spots before where uh, where uh, Nikola Jokic went a couple years ago. Jokic went forty one to Denver. Smilagic went thirty nine, and the reason he went thirty nine is because the Warriors, I believe, were nervous that another th- team was going to take him. Um, you know, there was a lot of chatter that entering the draft that they could take him at fifty eight, but obviously they had concerns that he would go before earlier do you think those were warranted concerns i mean certainly if you like a guy that much as santa cruz and golden state certainly did and you want to make sure you protect essentially your asset you you've developed this guy for a year you want to make sure you have him and sacramento who picked 40th they have a g league team the stockton kings and they see santa cruz four times a year i'm sure they were very impressed with him so hey if uh, if you're not sure you you might as well just slide up in front of them. I, I know that the Clippers were very uh, I- intrigued after having watched him play with the Agua, against the Agua Caliente Clippers. And, of course, one of their assistants, Casey Hill, was a former head coach of the Santa Cruz Warriors. I'm sure he was keeping close tabs on the C-dubs. So if uh, if you want to make sure you get your guy, then, yeah, you got to do what you got to do. And, Rusty, you've obviously been covering the league for a long time. How kind of unique of a situation is this where you actually get to – monitor a guy's progress on a day-to-day basis they actually taught him english they taught him how to use a debit card they taught him how to grocery shop there is a certain level of investment there that is just not the same when you're scouting a college player and going to a few of his games this season um do you think that do you think that when you have that level of investment in a guy and you know him on that personal level and you do like him that you almost have no choice but to to make sure you get him because you don't want that hard work to pay off for another team. Yeah, I think, the like you said, the investment is important. And then, like you started to hit on, uh, they know him so well now, right? Like Bob Myers kept saying that after the draft tonight, that, sure, we, we think we like these college players, but all you know is what you've seen on tape or maybe a couple games in person here or there. Maybe you brought him in for a workout. They've known this guy for a year. They've yeah. been around him. They know everything about him. Um, and I went down for uh, – 
a shoot around to sit with Kent Lake up and do a story on him. And uh, I remember Kent stopping at one point in the shoot around and saying, watch this, because Allen kept going over to the coaches and asking for more. Uh, you're, you're right. He, he's hungry. He's a killer on the court, but he loves who? And he just wants more of it. And for a year, the Warriors have seen that. And, and that's why they, they know who he is. And that's why it's worth the investment to them. Yeah, so what's what's realistic for Allen? You, you, like we said, we you've seen him more than anyone. Is he a guy in your mind that could play a role in the NBA next season? Is he going to be a year or two? What 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 can fans expect? I mean, I would lend to to thinking that he might be a year or two away. I mean, he's not even nineteen yet, and yeah, I I loved what I saw from Allen Smiley. I think he has a really nice upside. But it's still going to take some time to cook. Uh, the the three point shot, twenty four percent, but it looks good. It, I like for a guy who shoots twenty four percent from three, you wouldn't take a look at that form and say he's a twenty four percent three point shooter. There's certainly some like he needs to you know continue to develop that three, and I think he needs to kind of catch up with the speed of an NBA game. Uh, I, I think his mind is certainly there, and when you know his body can continue to develop and, and get in and become a man. I mean, he's still kind of a boy at 18. Once you become like a full grown man, I, I think really the sky's the limit for a guy like this. That being said, I, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't surprise me if he was a draft and stash kind of guy. I don't know what they're going to do with Alan Smiley. Maybe he's a two way may, you know, depending on who they get in free agency, maybe he is one of the 15 full blown roster players. I, I don't expect him to be a two way. They, the given their level of investment, he's going to get a guaranteed contract. And the the flex the nice thing about that this is kind of the ultimate draft and stash situation because you're stashing him an hour and a half drive away yeah. so instead of flying him in from Serbia yeah. you ha- and dealing with his overseas schedule you are driving him up on you know whatever highway that is highway yeah, yeah, seventeen seventeen yeah. along the Santa Cruz Mountains so um, I expect him to I mean. I would not be surprised if we saw him playing some meaningful minutes next season. Does that mean he'll be a rotation guy? Probably not. But I do think they want to get his feet wet. And Bob was asked about um, how ready he thinks all three of these guys are tonight. And he did say, yo, the reality is he has he's played the G League, which is a high level of basketball. It's a higher level than I think even the ACC or Pac-12. You have guys who are star players at those levels um, who he's going up against and, and playing well against on a nightly basis. So even though he is 18, almost 19 years old, in some ways he's actually more ready than a Jordan Poole, you know? Yeah, I, I do agree with that assessment. He has played against the highest level of competition out of the three guys that, that Golden State selected. I mean, the the G League, depending on who you talk to, it's a top five league in the world, and it is better than college basketball. That is a that is a biased opinion, but I've worked I mean, for a college basketball. It has to be true because it's the yeah. best players from college yeah, yeah. basketball. Right? Exactly. But, and and I, I did work in college for four years as well. So yeah, this, this it is clearly a better product, I think, than the NCAA. And in that regard, he is more ready. The only difference is you know, Poole has two years on him as far as age is concerned. And uh, Pascal as well, you know, he he's played. He was a four-year guy, right, mm-hmm. in college, Fordham, and then uh, Villanova. So those guys are older and they're more developed in their bodies, but as far as playing against a high level, Smiley Geach has got him there. So we obviously have talked about Smiley Geach a lot for good reason, but I'm curious what you guys think about these these two other guys, Jordan Poole and Eric Paschal. The This was such a fluid draft, um, I think, from really, honestly, six 
on down. No one really knew it was going to happen. And, uh, you know, on, if you looked at mock drafts entering today, most of them had Jordan Poole as a early to mid second round pick. And they had Eric Pascal as a late first, early second rounder. I saw some mock drafts that had the Warriors taking him 28 and they actually got him 41 which is more of a range that people expected Jordan Poole to go in, but Jordan Poole gets the guaranteed contract. Um, what do you got? What are your early impressions on him? I don't know a ton about him, just based off what I've seen and read today. What do you guys think about that pick? Uh, I I think your description of that is hilarious because I was sitting next to somebody who's pretty well in the know uh, about the Warriors. And we were talking as they were getting close to the number 28 pick and I circled Eric Pascal's name. So I thought he was in consideration at 28, and that's yeah. the guy they got at 41. Um, so I think that's interesting and does speak to how fluid the draft was. Um, I don't, I didn't know a ton about Jordan Poole until today, uh, but I know Coach Beeline well, and anyone who develops in his system comes ready to play. I think it's interesting that you look at Poole's numbers and you think of him immediately as a shooter, but he spent a lot of time playing point guard this year on a mm-hmm. team that started something like 14 or 17-0. and 0. I mean, they were the number two team in the country, and he was leading that group. Um, and it sounds like he's got a ton of guts. Uh, so, so he's going to come in here. The Warriors desperately need people to play right away. They need people to, to knock down shots. I don't know if he will, but he, he won't be scared to do it. Yeah, I mean, he, he certainly knocked down his fair share of shots at Michigan, 37% three-point shooter. And I remember rooting for Houston in the round of 32 against Michigan in the 2018 NCAA tournament. Then uh, Poole kind of ruined the Cougars' dreams there with a with a deep, deep three buzzer beater to send on the Sweet 16 uh, before they eventually lost to Pascal's uh, Villanova Wildcats in the, in the NCAA championship game that year. But yeah, no, a shot maker and, and as uh, Rusty alluded to, a confident uh, player on the court doesn't seem like the the big moment is, is uh, too big for him. You know, as, as evidenced by uh, being nominated for an ESPY award for that big shot against Houston. So yeah, we'll we'll see what he can bring to the table. But certainly, you, you like the shooting that he can bring. Yeah, big question is, can he at least hold his own defensively? Um, the scouting reports I saw on him said that there was a lot to be desired there. Obviously, NBA is is so different than college. Sometimes it can be hard to project um, how someone's going to translate on that, that side of the court. But um, it sounds like he's they they got him mainly for the shooting, which is going to be a huge need. It's always a huge need for any NBA team. But Clay Thompson's going to be out most to if not all of next season with that ACL injury um you don't know if you're bringing back kevin durant even if you do he's probably out all of next season with an achilles injury and rusty you know better than anyone backup shooting guard has been a weak point for this team for years uh i don't i i don't know if they've really ever had a reliable backup shooting guard in the steve kerr era right now it's probably in its worst state of all time um the only real backup shooting guard they have on the roster is Jacob Evans, who I think has lagged behind some expectations. Their 28th pick from last season. Um, and you have Quinn Cook, who really is more of a point guard. So I think they'd like him to be able to play some meaningful minutes uh, as a rookie. And I think I think he can probably hit NBA shots and hit NBA threes, but he has to he has to improve defensively. Yeah, I mean, it's been uh, a game of musical chairs at that position for years, even during this dominating run of, of going to five straight NBA finals. Um, they've been forced to play Clay Thompson more than they want to. They've played Stephen Curry off the ball and Andre and Sean at the point um, because there's been this rotation of, of backup two guards. Um, 
there was the Nick Young experiment. There's been Justin Holiday, uh, Ian Clark. There's been all these guys that are okay pieces, but but Steve Kerr always says the one thing I want to know about guys coming off the bench is what to expect. And from none of those guys, you know exactly what to expect. So that they're hoping that this is a guy that they know exactly what they're going to get when they put him on the floor. And then Eric Pascal is a is a guy who has the ultimate winning pedigree. Uh, won a national championship with Villanova. Developed over the course of a few years with them into a really solid, you know, really star guy as a senior. Average 16.5 points, uh, 6.1 rebounds, 2.1 assists. He can do a little bit of everything. He plays really hard. Um, he, I think he's really solid defensively. Uh, he's a guy who transferred from Fordham. Uh, you know, he... This is a weird thing to admit on the podcast, but uh, I almost went to Fordham out of high school, and I've always kind of followed that program just for whatever reason. I almost went there too. I love I love the campus. Beautiful campus, yes. yeah, Bronx, yeah, it's it's gorgeous. And uh, I like the Manhattan campus. Oh, really? Just a, just a like big building campus. right in smack dab in the middle. I loved it. <laughs> I would have been a Rose Hill guy if I had gone there, but uh, which is their more suburban campus. But um, he was a guy who was a pretty big recruit out of high school, and then went to Fordham was the biggest recruit in Fordham history, put up good numbers as a freshman, 15.9 points, uh, and then decided, you know what? I want to be on a winning team, and I'm okay being a role guy, and then and and, and was that, and then was a, a, a key rotation piece on that championship team, and then here he is now in the NBA. To me, he feels like the best bet to be a solid rotation role guy long term. I think he... He's an NBA player, and I don't think he necessarily has the highest ceiling, but I think he could come in and, and eat up in NBA minutes next season. Well, let me just say you guys are way smarter than me. If I would have applied to Fordham, they would have just laughed. <laughs> uh, that was that was never never in the offing for me. Um, but I, I like this pick a lot. Um, I, I'm not saying he's going to be Draymond Green or anything close, but he reminds me a lot of him. Uh, when Draymond Green came in as a rookie, he said something that always stuck with me. He said, if Coach give me, gives me four minutes, I'm going to make him play me eight. If he gives me eight, I'm going to make him play me 16. If he gives me 16, I'll make him play 32. And this guy reminds me of that. He's going to find his role. He's going to do his role perfectly. Um, and then like like the, like this last year, he was a, a role player on a championship team, and then there was nobody left. And he showed that he could be a star. Um, and, and I think that that's exactly what every NBA team is looking for, is when you're a rookie, play your role, do your part. Um, as pieces come and go, maybe you step into a larger role, and I think he has the skill set to do that. And Bob was asked an interesting question, um, which was basically, do you feel like these draft picks are draft picks are going to affect your approach to free agency? And he ba he was kind of vague, but he basically said he, he probably not. But it does give them a little bit of flexibility. And and let's focus specifically on two guys like Quinn Cook, who I think matters in the case of Jordan Poole, and then um, Jordan Bell in the case of Eric Pascal. Jordan Bell, both of those guys are going to be restricted free agents this summer if the Warriors give them qualifying offers. Um, Jordan Bell, I think his future is a little murkier than Quinn Cook. Uh, it would not shock me if they didn't bring him back. They might give him a qualifying offer, but he, if he gets anything north of that 1.9 or 1.8, I believe it is, uh, he's probably gone. And I think I think Eric Pascal is probably a guy who right now can be more consistent in an NBA game than Jordan Bell. And so that kind of gives 
the Warriors a little bit of a cushion where they can say, you know what, Jordan Bell, you had your moments, but you were so inconsistent. You had that incident with the hotel charge. You're not really progressing at the rate we want you to. We're just going to give your minutes to Eric Pascal. Yeah, I, mean, I don't think Pascal is probably going to uh, throw a lob off the backboard to himself and dunk the way Jordan Bell. He doesn't have that crazy athleticism, um, but he's hungry. He fights. Um, I think the coaches will know from day one what to expect of him, um, and that that might be exactly what the Warriors are looking for. Yeah, I mean, you just take a look at his build, 6'9", 255. He's a strong dude. And another thing I like is the progression of three-point shooting. Made 36 as a redshirt junior, 70 as a redshirt senior, so nearly doubled the total from a year before and kept it at around the same efficiency, round up to 36% as a redshirt junior, 35% as a redshirt senior. It kind of reminds me, and I'm not saying they are the same player in any stretch of the imagination. I'm just saying about the progression of the three-point shot. Thomas Bryant, as a freshman in Indiana, barely shot the three. Sophomore year, he did nothing but shoot threes, and he's become a pretty... Uh, when he's got, I just remember him in South Bay when he's playing Santa Cruz and he would just kill us with three after three after three after three. And, and he's become a nice rotation piece with the Washington Wizards after Dwight Howard went down with that injury. Yeah. And then you look at, uh, you look at Jordan Poole. Um, to me, he's, he's similar in a lot of ways to Quinn Cook. Uh, Quinn Cook's a guy who, uh, is kind of a defensive liability, but can knock down the open jumper as, is, really an elite three-point shooter. Uh, I know I know you're a fan of him, <laughs> Kevin. He's he's arguably the greatest uh G League player of all time. The first the first player in G League, first and only player in G League history to do to shoot 50-40-90, right? He is the first player to shoot 50-40-90 in uh, G League history. He you know what? I still kind of give the nod to Elliot Williams for best Santa Cruz warrior of all time just when he was healthy, what he could do, I mean, when he was locked in, he was unguardable in the G League. And I mean, he was a former first-round pick. He just had so many injuries. Great guy and just a fantastic player. But, yeah, Quinn Cook is certainly up there. He, His last few games in Santa Cruz, I mean, he was getting like 40 and 10 assists. It was like he shouldn't have been there. So you kind of wonder, like, do you want two guys on your roster that are that similar and aren't really defenders when you know how much of a premium they put on defensive versatility in the backcourt? That's definitely a fair question. I, I think at the end of the day, you like you want to replace some shooting though, and you can never have enough shooting on your team. I think is something you know that that we learned, or if we didn't know already. So I, I can definitely see why they went with Poole to, to give them that shooting, especially if they liked what he did in workouts. And, you know, from what we've heard is that he was really killing workouts, especially as it progressed towards the draft. So if, if uh, that's what they saw, obviously, you know, I wasn't there. I didn't see the workouts. But, hey, yeah, it just gives you another shooting option. And even if he does kind of have the same Quinn Cookish ish he's maybe an inch or two taller than him at 6'5". That's what I was going to say is he's bigger. He's longer. Um, I think we can we can say there are similarities in, in the shooting and that they, they are a little bit of combo guards. Um, but but he's bigger. He's longer. And, and he, you ha- he has you, to have a higher ceiling defensively for that reason. Right. right. And, and I think he's got some of that dog in him, too, that if he gets in this program where they where the players and the coaches 
make you play defense. He seems to have that dog that will come out that, that maybe he will start to play defense at this level. Um, nobody thought Clay Thompson was a defender before he got here either. Right. Right. Um, so going back to smiley Gates real quick, one thing that I'm fascinated about with him is how did they find this guy? I mean, I've written a little bit about it. I know, I know Kent Lake have found him in Belgrade, but you and I have talked before. There's somewhat of a, Serbian pipeline in Santa Cruz, right? Do you think he's part of that? Do you think he kind of owes uh, that pipeline for for his discovery? Yeah, I do think so a little bit. You go back to the European Derek Rose, Nemanja Nedovic, who was a first round draft pick in uh, 2013. <laughs> uh, but like, yeah, I remember Neto, man. Uh, his first game in Santa Cruz was like 35 and 11. He was on fire. Um, so yeah, I mean, of course you have him, you, you have some other Eastern European players you're thinking about like Nonian Kuzmich, who kind of came through that, that same scouting department as well. Um, and I still think Onion Kuzmich can be an NBA player. I, I know that he's been out of the league for years, but that guy is an elite rebounder. And, uh, I, I just think, uh, he's really found a nice niche in Europe. I, I would like to see him give it another go, but yeah, you know, I'm getting off track. Just just to say, Alan Smilagic, he's not the first that has kind of come through this. And, and then, of course, Milos Mili Saljevic, who was another first round G League draft choice of the Santa Cruz Warriors in the 14-15 season, and could have had a career here in America. Tore his ACL January 21st, 2015, when he was playing his best G League game in a 35-point win over the LA Defenders at now the home of the Agua Caliente Clippers of, of Ontario in Ontario. Um, one of the things that is most impressive to me about Smiley Geach is this is a guy who had not played above the third division in Serbia, which isn't even full-on professional basketball. Yeah. It's semi-professional basketball. His his Basically, his club team had never produced an NBA player you look at old videos on YouTube. He's playing with a uh, with a soccer goal behind the basket. It's like there's one row of seats and these tiny little gymnasiums, um, and he was dominating that comp- competition, putting up phenomenal numbers. Looked like a man among boys. Um, and then he also had not the other highest level he'd played at is the U16 team. He wasn't even on the full national team of Serbia, which is a good national team. Um, and he goes from that to holding his own and having some dominant games at in, at the G League level, which to me bodes really well for the Warriors. The fact that you can take someone and put them in that big of a make them go that big of a jump in level of competition, and they and they aren't overwhelmed by the moment because the jump from the G League to the NBA is not going to be as big as from the Serbian third division to the G League. Right. And and beyond even that ridiculous adjustment in basketball competition is the adjustment that he's coming to a new country where he doesn't know the language, doesn't have a banking account. He's 18 years old and he handles all that. And he was by himself. And he's by himself. A lot of he's times your parents right? come with you in those yeah. situations. Yeah. He was completely by himself. Yeah. Aaron Miles is basically his dad. <laughs> yeah. And, and shout out to Antonius Cleveland, who was kind of like his vet, quote unquote, even though Antonius was only in his second year as a professional basketball player. Had a cup of coffee with the Mavericks and uh, the Hawks in the 17-18 season, second year C-Dub. Really kind of took uh, Allen under his wing, and they became good friends throughout the year. Um, but, but yeah, no, I mean, just getting adjusted to everything. And I don't know if you're per 36 guys or not. I am a per 36 guy. Per 36, he was around 18 and a half and close to 
eight and a half rebounds per game in the G League. So you give him the minutes, he's going to give you some production. Yeah. Sounds like you guys are predicting rookie of the year. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I mean, it, the reality is he's in a really good situation because he's already comfortable with the G League. They have the same staff. Uh, he's going to be in summer league with Aaron Miles, who, is his, who was his G League coach. Um, and so he can he can be comfortable and not have to worry about uh, all the newness and just focus on basketball. And I would not be surprised if you saw him – really dominating that level and then once he's dominating that level on a consistent basis is when they would feel more comfortable you know bringing him up to the nba level on a consistent basis yeah we'll see it's kind of tough to project a a guy's minutes here in june but that's certainly something as as we talked about he's faced the toughest competition out of the three of him pascal pascal and pool just by a result of playing in the G League. So we'll see. I'm excited to see him in Sacramento and Las Vegas. Yeah, no, I am too. I'm I'm really glad that I got the go-ahead to go because now it feels like I need to be there because we have three guys, including uh, on top of Jacob Evans, who will be there. Um, I'm just happy to have more guys to write about. It, it just keeps the storylines going. The Warriors might not let you come down there anymore, though. I heard there were a lot of people upset that you cost them so much. They had to give up. <laughs> Two future second rounders, cash, all this to move up to get them because you wrote the story in March. Oh, yeah. You know, I wasn't the first person that wrote something on him. Uh, I'll give the hat tip to Forbes. There was some guy from a writer from Forbes who wrote something back in December on him. Um, but until tonight, there were literally only a few articles on the entire internet about him and that is changing very fast a lot of people are going to be watching him very closely in santa cruz next season obviously with the warriors he was actually here tonight uh, i don't know if you saw him he was here i saw him embrace kent lake uh, had to be an unbelievable night for him this is a guy who took the ultimate flyer and just came to america and played in a minor league and here he is you know gonna be on the roster for a team that's made five straight NBA finals he's gonna be sharing a roster with Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and Draymond Green and who knows maybe Kevin Durant so uh super surreal night for him fun night for all of us um thank you so much Kevin for joining us really appreciate the insight I have a feeling we'll be talking a lot more throughout this season about um smiling each and i have a feeling i'll be in santa cruz a few few more times next next season yeah thanks for having me on connor always uh happy to hop on and looking forward to seeing you in Sacktown and sin city <laughs> i want to thank rusty simmons and kevin Dannon for joining me on the podcast it's always fun chatting warriors with them warriors off court is part of the san francisco chronicle podcast network audrey cooper is the editor-in-chief If you like this show, we'd love it if you subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've got a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing. Follow me on Twitter at con underscore cron and email me at cleturno at sfchronicle.com. Support Warriors Off Court and a lot of great journalism with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.